Hi everyone, tonight's reading is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and that's page 1182. So I'll just give you a minute. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, 1182. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. you thanks Catherine good evening everyone good to see you you've got me again this week my name's Dave I probably met most of you but if I haven't my name is also as well still Dave I'm one of the pastors here at Samats along with Kelsey and Nathan it's good to be here tonight I hope you're ready tonight I hope you're excited I hope you're ready to have your mind blown tonight we're going to have our mind blown by who Jesus is so I hope you're ready for that I'm excited. I've enjoyed this week being in the Word, getting beaten up by it, being encouraged, being strengthened. So that's our, my prayer for us tonight. Also, I think there's some folks uh, doing their HSC trials at the moment or tomorrow. Is that right? Can we just give each other a round of applause for being here tonight? Well, good on you guys. It's massive. For some of us, that was a little while ago, but I still remember it. It's full on. I want to pray for you guys as well, because no, it's not easy. It is a big time. So let's um, pray for these guys as we pray for each other. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and we thank you for this opportunity to gather, to sing, to declare that your name is powerful, beautiful, and wonderful, that you have no rival and no equal. Lord God, we bring before you our our friends, our brothers and sisters doing the HSC trials at the moment, or we're about to start them tomorrow. Lord God, thank you that they're here. We ask tonight that they'd be refreshed, um, as we all want to be, by your word. We ask that you'd give them clarity of thought in their exams, and to give them perspective that you have everything in control. Everything is under your control. So tonight we ask that you would feed us from your word, that's your promise to us, and we ask that by your spirit you would apply it to our minds and our hearts and our will, so that we wouldn't leave here unchanged. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus, 
Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Many of you guys know um, that I was in a band for a long time. Another band story. You ready for another band story? I was in a Christian rock band for about 10 years, and we lived over in the States for quite a while. We're in our manager's office one day, and we get to meet someone pretty cool. So she was just there. We get to meet someone called Amy Grant. Does anyone know who this is? There's a photo of her. You might be showing your age if you know who Amy Grant is. Many of these guys probably don't know. She's a bit of a legend in the Christian music industry. She had hits in the 80s. Okay, so it was a while ago. It's a while ago even for me. But uh, it was kind of cool meeting her. She's a lovely person, really friendly. In fact, so friendly that day. She's like, hey, why don't you guys come over to our house this particular afternoon, you know, sometime in the future. I'm like, okay, cool. So we go over there uh, one afternoon. We're, we're having a great time at her house. I must admit, I knew who she was. I mean, most people did. I didn't know a lot about her. I knew a bit of her music, but I didn't know much about her family situation, all that kind of stuff. So we're over there at her place, hanging out, and uh, I go into the kitchen to get a drink, and this guy walks in, and he introduces himself, and he says, hi, I'm Amy's husband. I'm Vince. I say, hey, Vince, how are you going? Nice to meet you. We get chatting. So here's this guy, Vince, right? He's sitting on the counter um, in his kitchen, and we're having a chat. This guy ain't just Vince. This guy is Vince. Oh, there's a f picture of him there. This guy is Vince Gill. Now, has anyone heard of him? I didn't know, okay, a couple of people. I didn't know who he was because I'm Australian, right? We don't know much about these folks. I'm kind of stupid as well. I'm a bit dull sometimes. <laughs> this is Vince Gill, right? He is a country music legend. This guy has sold over 26 million albums. He's won 18 country music awards and he's won 21 Grammys. He's written some of the most iconic country music songs ever. I mean, he is just a legend. And so there I am, hanging in the kitchen with this guy, Vince. If you don't believe me that he's a big deal, here's a picture of him doing his, getting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. This guy's a big deal, okay? There I am in the kitchen with Vince. We're having a chat. Can you just have a guess what question I ask him? Have a guess. What do you do for a living? <laughs> I did. I am so embarrassed. There, in his own home, I'm just I'm sitting there. Go, hey, Vince, what do you what do you do for a living, mate? He goes, Oh, he's a very humble, lovely guy. He goes, I'm a musician. I'm like, oh, good for you, man. Good, good for you, Vince. Oh, so embarrassing. So I I get home, and I, I and I talk to some friends of ours who are Americans. And oh, we went to Amy Grant's house. Oh, really? That's cool. I met this guy called Vince. He was really nice. V Vince Gill. Like, yeah, yeah, he's lovely. And then I found out who he was, right? Absolute country music megastar. I was in the presence of greatness, and I just had no idea. That ever happened to you? I was in the presence of greatness, and I had no idea. I reckon when it comes to Jesus, we can be the same. Maybe for you, you've been a Christian for quite a while, and your picture of who Jesus is has become pretty small. Maybe Jesus for you has become a little boxed in. Maybe you've lost your awe and wonder for who Jesus is. Or maybe you're not yet a Christian. You're on a journey of faith. You're beginning to, to discover the true greatness of who Jesus is. Either way, tonight, prepare to have your minds blown. Our ideas, our preconceptions, our any about Jesus just blown up. Tonight, get ready for that. Because not only are we going to see that we are truly in the presence of greatness, but we're going to see that because of who Jesus is, and we're going to paint a picture of that tonight, because of his, who Jesus is, he is uniquely able to save 
and therefore he is truly above all. That's the title for this series in Colossians, he is truly above all. So tonight we're going to spend some time on who Jesus is, then we're going to spend a bit of time on who we are. Verse 21, Paul talks a little bit about who we are, and then we're going to move on to what that means for us and what Jesus has done, all right? So who Jesus is, who we are, and then so what, what that means for us, okay? We ready for that? Now, the first five verses of this section are just absolutely packed with theological goodness and richness. I was, in preparing for this message, I was reading this commentary that this one guy reckons these five verses could be some of the most important in the whole Bible. So no pressure, I'm feeling it a bit, but this is just a truly magnificent part of Scripture. So what we're going to do, instead of dissecting every little bit, we could be spending hours on this material, it's that rich, what we're going to do is we're going to try and take each section, it's sort of a bit of a verse, make some observations, and then we're going to try and move as quickly as we can, we're going to try and take in as much as we can, and if you feel a bit overwhelmed, that's okay, because I reckon that's part of the idea. Now, are you ready? Are you ready to go with me? I really don't want to go on this journey alone. So you're with me? I'm get, just nod for me, just so that I know you're awake, you're not nodding off. Okay, good. You're with me? Well, here we go. We're going to dive into these first five verses and see what God has for us. All right, here we go. The Son, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Previously to this, God remained intentionally unseen, but not anymore. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Has anyone ever said to you, I wish I could see God? Anyone said that to you? If you lived 2,000 years ago, you could have. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. The invisible made visible. Let's keep going. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, some of you might be thinking, firstborn? How could Jesus be born? That's a great question because he wasn't, he isn't, he can't. Jesus is the great uncreated one from eternity past. So what it means in this context is not he was born, but it's got more to do with the title. He is the firstborn over all creation. Therefore, he is God's son. He is the inheritor of all things. He is the heir. So it's a title in this instance. Let's keep moving. For in him all things were created. How many things? All things. Right. Good. And Paul says, if that ain't clear enough, let me just kind of flesh that out a little. All right. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Let's just think about that statement for a little while. Has there ever been a bolder claim? I mean, what a resume, what a CV, ridiculous. Look at it, everything in heaven and on earth, things we can see, things we can't see. And even you might think things that have maybe nothing to do with Jesus, like rulers and, and local councils and mayors and kings, what? Yep, all of it was created by him and for him. Now, it seems like the Colossians were beginning to doubt that Jesus was enough. There's a huge theme in the letter of Colossians, right? beginning to doubt that Jesus was enough. And so they were getting some people, some influence saying, hey, maybe you need to add something to be spiritually fulfilled. So they potentially were being tempted to worship 
heavenly beings, angelic beings. And so Paul's writing this saying, he, he, he made them. You want to worship heavenly beings? They are utterly inferior to Jesus. And it's true for us too. Now, I'm not sure many of us would be tempted to worship angelic beings or heavenly beings. If you are, then you need to know they are totally inferior to who Jesus is. So you need to stop because why would you worship the created instead of the creator? But for us, we might be tempted to worship other created things, like maybe what is so gloriously on offer here in Manly, right? The beaches, the waves, the lifestyle, maybe. Or maybe it's actually worshipping other people. I don't reckon anyone uses that language. We wouldn't use that day-to-day, I worship. You might say, I worship the ground they walk on as a joke, but we probably wouldn't self-identify like that, I worship them, right? But I think, if you're anything like me, I think we can be tempted to put too much of our hopes, our dreams, our affections into a person, And that might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a partner or someone you're wanting to occupy that space. But we we touched on this last week, didn't we, a bit. Truth is, if we do that to someone else, we'll crush them. They cannot bear that kind of weight. If we we want to put all our hopes and our dreams into one person, we will crush them. They cannot bear that divine weight and they will disappoint us. Only Jesus can bear our weight of worship. That's worth repeating. Only Jesus can bear the weight of our worship. Nothing else was meant to be worshipped. Nothing else can truly satisfy. Let's keep moving. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus didn't come into existence 2,000 years ago in the Incarnation. He has always been. From eternity past, He will always be. Eternity future. And no one really knows what this next part means. In him, all things hold together. It's kind of cool. I like to think about it. He's like the divine glue that holds the universe together. Who knows what that really looks like or really means? I mean, I've got a friend who's a brain surgeon, and we talk at parties sometimes, and he tries to explain to me what he's doing. And I have no medical training. It just totally goes over my head. But I know what he's doing is pretty important. I know if he stopped doing it, that would be pretty bad news for the person he's operating on and for his other patients. It's kind of like that Jesus holding all things together. We don't exactly know what it means, but we know if he stopped doing it, everything would fall apart. That's how intimately involved he is with his creation. Let's keep reading. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This whole section, right, it's painting a picture of the cosmic Christ, the supreme Jesus, the all-powerful Lord of the universe. And now Paul's explaining Jesus is the head of the church. I mean, it, it seems a little bit like, hang on, we're getting really big scale and then we're getting down, we're talking about creation, why the church? But it makes perfect sense because Jesus is the author of creation and now the author of the new creation, right? The new humanity, the church, that's us. And he's the head. And let's run with the image of of that, of the church being the body and Christ being the head. If we do that, what do we learn? The body without the head is dead, isn't it? The body without the head is dead. Christ without the church is dead. You never hear a doctor talk about 
amputating the head as a great medical strategy, do you? I mean, maybe an, uh, an arm or a leg, but that never works. Why? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Without the head, you die. It's a dangerous path that some churches are going down when they deny incredibly important truths about who Jesus is. You cut Jesus off from the church, what can you expect? Now, Paul's also keen to point out that because Jesus rose from the dead, he is the author of the new life believers receive in the Spirit. Let's keep moving. We're almost there. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I don't think this comes to a surprise to anybody when I say something's not right with the world, right? I just think most people would nod at that. If you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, something isn't right. Ever since we left the garden, the world has been disrupted. Everything has been affected. Our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, our relationship with creation. And here is where this idea of reconcile comes in. Jesus comes in to make things right. That's kind of what it means, to make things right. This is the job of Jesus Christ. And part of that process is God coming to dwell with his people. He's coming to make things right. In the garden, right? What happened? Adam and Eve dwelt with God. They were in intimate relationship with God. But that changed when we said, no, thanks very much. We don't want you in our lives. Ever since then, the big question of the Bible has been, how can we make it right with God? How can we be with him again? God wants to be with us. We see it in the tabernacle. We see it in the temple. We see it beautifully in Jesus Christ. God comes to dwell with his people, to reconcile them, to make them right and all things. Now, that's it. That's the first five verses of this passage. What a picture. Are you feeling a little bit overwhelmed? If you are, that's okay. Remember Paul's reason for writing the letter, okay? Colossians, right? Jesus is enough. He's above all, right? He is enough. And he's saying to Colossians, don't let anybody tell you that he isn't enough. How could we possibly say, after hearing all of that, that Jesus is not enough? Let's go through it really quickly. Jesus is image of God, firstborn of all creation, maker of all things we see and can't see. He's been in existence since always. He holds the universe together. He's the head of the church, rose from the dead, making new people for himself. His job is to make all things right once and for all. If Jesus, is, Jesus isn't enough, I don't know what you want. What more could you want? Now, here's something really important. I want to stop for a second and pause. This is really important because... Jesus is all of these things. Because he is all of these things, he is uniquely able to save, okay? What am I saying? I'm saying that he is supreme Lord and sufficient Savior. If Jesus is not all these things we've just been talking about, then he cannot save. But because he is, he uniquely has the ability to save. Let me illustrate it. Um, Quite a while back, I used to do some cold calling for a friend of mine who owned a sales business. You know what cold calling is? You call up people cold, you don't know them, and it's brutal work. You're trying to sell them something over the phone, right? Marketing research. What do we call it? Telemarketing? Right, it's a bit like that. It's hard work, man. You're calling over 100 people a day, getting a lot of rejections. But here's the hardest thing about it. It's the worst thing about it. When you call someone, you're getting on really well, you're starting a relationship with them. You're thinking, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm close to a sale here. 
and they go, oh, sorry, I'm not authorized to make the sale. I'll transfer you to my boss. You've just spent however long with this person, all for nothing. They transfer you to their boss and you've got to start all over again. In business, all the business people out there could tell you know, more about this than me. You've got to get in front of the decision maker. All right? You want to spend time with a person who is able to make the decision. There is no point wasting your time with Jesus if he isn't all those things we've just been describing. He might be a nice guy. He might give us a great example in the scriptures to live a good life. But if he is not the supreme Lord, he cannot save. But this is the message of the gospel. He is the supreme Lord. Therefore, he can save. All right. No one else has this CV. Therefore, no one else can save. Let's stop now. That's our, our first point. We spent a lot of time on that. We're going to move quickly through our next couple of points. That's our wonderful picture of Jesus. But what does Paul say about us, right? What does Paul say about the Colossians? What does he say about you and me? Let's have a look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I reckon that's just put the brakes on a little bit. Are you feeling that? It's a bit of a jarring reality, right? We've just had this incredible picture of the supreme Jesus, right? He is amazing. And then Paul describes us in one verse, a handful of words, with bitter accuracy. And there's three main words he uses here, right? You guys, you're alienated, enemies, because of your evil behavior. Let's have a look at those words. Alienated. Paul's saying, this wonderful, incredible Christ, you're apart from him. You're alienated. There is a great chasm, a great gap between this amazing Jesus, creator of all things, and you. You're alienated. It gets worse. We're not just kind of in this neutral relationship with him. We're actually enemies, right? We're opposed to, we've turned our backs on him because of our evil behavior. It's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? And here's the thing. It gets bleaker. It gets worse. Why? Because we're powerless to do anything about that. Alienated, enemies with God because of our evil behavior. There's a gap between God and us. And we can't do anything about that. This week, um, I had the pleasure of seeing the new movie Dunkirk. Has anyone seen it? Here, you want, yeah. Would you like it? What do you think? It's pretty intense, hey. Whew, it's intense. There's no sort of comedy breaks through it. It's in, it's got this like heartbeat sort of soundtrack in it, and it is full on. But it, it, I loved it. I thought it was a masterpiece. Nathan didn't like it as much, but he's really hard to please when it comes <laughs> to movies. Man, what else do you want? It's awesome. I loved it. I'll try not to spoil it. I don't think I'll spoil it. But if you know, if you've seen the movie, you know the story. It depicts a famous battle or at least evacuation that took place in the Second World War. Now, what happened? 1940, the Nazis are growing stronger. The Allied forces, who's that? The English, the Belgian and the French forces, they're in France, they're waiting around and you know what they do? Totally underestimate the Germans. They'd been preparing for war for almost a decade and they just moved across France, Europe, with lightning speed. That's where we get the that Blitzkrieg. Have you heard that before? That's where we get it from. That was their warfare. That's what, how it was described. They crushed the Allies and they moved them into this corner 
of France called Dunkirk. Here's a, a pamphlet. This is an actual pamphlet that they dropped on the Allied forces saying, we're surrounding you. We've surrounded you. You're in big trouble. Just surrender. And that you can see here, I've got this pointer, this new thing here. Right, this is France here. That's where they were, surrounded by Germans. This is the English Channel, and that's England, okay? Now, this is what happened. 400,000 men were stranded on those beaches of Dunkirk. Here's a picture from the movie, and here's an, here's an actual picture, right? 400,000 men were moved into this corner of France, and they were stuck, surrounded by Germans, their defensive line, you know, every day growing weaker, and also surrounded by water. There they are on the beaches, trapped, helpless. Much of the movie takes place on the beaches of Dunkirk, and you are just feeling this helplessness as they wait for help, because they're powerless to save themselves. We've got to understand, this is who we were. And if you're not a Christian, this is hard to hear, but this is who you are. Stranded, alienated, enemies with God because of what we've done. Those men on the beaches, they couldn't swim themselves to salvation. And you and I, we can't just try and do our best to save ourselves. It doesn't work like that. We can't cross that great chasm by what we do. You and I need a saviour. And this brings us to our third point, what Jesus has done, what it means for us. If you know the story of Dunkirk, the, the men's salvation comes from a pretty unusual place. Here's an artist's depiction of the scene. The British Navy was nowhere to be seen. They couldn't pick up their boys and take them home. Right? They were predisposed elsewhere. They were stuck. So what happened? British civilians, not army, British normal mums and dads, jumped into their boats over 800 random pleasure vessels, yachts, motorboats, crossed the English Channel to bring their boys home. It's an amazing story of salvation. There they are, the men, waiting to be saved, helpless to save themselves, and home comes for them. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You and I, we're the same, right? We're stuck there. You and I need a saviour, but here's the good news of the Christian gospel. That's exactly what we get. You and I need a saviour, and that's what we get. Let's read verse 22. But now... They could be some of the two most beautiful words in the English language, right? But now, once you were alienated, you were far from him, enemies because of your evil behavior. But now, he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Remember these three words? Alienated, enemies, and evil behavior. Because of Christ's reconciling work on the cross, right? because of God's great love for us, those three words have now been met with another three words. Alienated meets holy. Right? We are not separated from God anymore, but we have been taken, placed into the new kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We learned that last week. And we are now holy. We can stand before a holy God Without Christ's reconciling work, we'd be obliterated in an instant because God cannot be in the presence of sin. We, if we'd learned nothing from our Leviticus series, we learned that, right? We have now been made holy because of what Christ has done. We are no longer enemies with Him, but we are now free from guilt. We now stand before Him without blemish. Our evil behavior has been met with forgiveness. We are now free from accusation. 
alienated, enemies, evil behavior, holy, without blemish, free from accusation. Why? Because the cosmic Christ, the firstborn over all creation, chose to be born into his creation. The head of the church took upon his own head a crown of thorns. The one in whom the fullness of God dwelt chose to have the fullness of sin's punishment upon himself. The one who was before all things allowed himself to become the last of things, abandoned by his friends, mocked by his enemies, forsaken by his father. The divine glue of the universe, the one who holds all things together, became undone on a Roman cross. Why? To bring you and I home. That's the good news of the gospel. Remember back to our illustration, the movie, Dunkirk. I love the tagline, when they couldn't get home, home came for them. Who saved them? Their own, right? Home came for them, their own side. Here is the truly remarkable thing about Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Doesn't that blow your mind? We weren't on the same side fighting a common enemy. We were the enemy. And Jesus did all those things for you and I. We deserve alienation and we get grace. Paul ends this section. We're going to wrap up in a minute. But we're going to, he ends this section with an encouragement to the Colossians to never, ever waver from this good news. This is the gospel. Is what Christians call the gospel is the good news. For Christians, we never move away from it. Yes, we get deeper into the word. We learn about more what it means to be a Christian. But we never move away from this wonderful truth of what Christ has done. Paul says, continue in it, build your life on it, do not move from it, stand firm. So here's, here's the message from tonight, right? Here's a message for the book. Here's a message for our Christian lives. Christ is enough. But here's the thing. If you're anything like me, I've been in church a long time. I've been at Bible college for six years now, finishing in a few months. Thank you, Jesus. I'm loving it, but anyway. I've... I, and I, you know, I'm in staff meetings, I'm, I'm reading the Bible all the time. I know this. I know that Christ is enough. I know it theoretically. I know it to be true theologically. But every day, I'm challenged to believe this is not true. Practically. It's easy to say, yep, Christ is enough. I want to ask, what areas of your life are denying this truth? Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, what are you going to go to to satisfy you? Are you going to type in something on your computer, look up your phone and make you feel Christ is enough? Nah. Sure, I mean, yeah, he died for my sins on the cross, I get that. But who are you going to go to when you're feeling really low? What areas of your life denying this truth that Christ is enough. I tell you, without you guys, without church, without my home group, I would really struggle. That's why we have those things. 
doesn't make you a Christian to come to church and go to small group throughout the week. But we need encouragement to live this out every day that Christ is enough. And if you're not yet a Christian, the message is the same for you. Christ is enough. Are you sick of looking at other things for purpose, meaning, satisfaction that you know will never fulfill that? Are you beginning to realize that those things can never truly satisfy? Have you worshipped things and they're crushed under the weight of your worship? Have you been bitterly disappointed by things like that? We want to invite you tonight to enter into this saving relationship with Christ. Accept the invitation. Here's the thing, you know, in that movie Dunkirk, imagine, right, being a soldier on that beach and, and a boat coming up. The soldier still needed to say, yep, take me. I need to get in there. I need saving. And that's what it means to become a Christian. Every single person in this room has done that, has said, I can't make it on my own. I need to jump in that boat and cross that gap. Not the English Channel. Sorry, my insulin pump's beeping at me. I don't know what it's saying. It's saying something. I'm alive still. That's good. Okay. <laughs> right? It's not the English Channel. But all of us need to cross that gap between us and God. Now, only Jesus can take you there. But being a Christian, it's not, it's not special. It doesn't mean that you're any better than anybody else. All it actually means, I say this a bit, but it's true, is that you just put up your hand and said, I can't do it on my own. It doesn't make you special. It doesn't make us holier than thou. It makes us broken. If, if you've never done that, we want to invite you tonight to do that for the first time. I want to invite the band to come on out and we're going to sing. I mean, I'm going to pray as well. I'm going to pray for Christians particularly, and this is for me, that we never lose our wonder. Because we can, can't we? Because so many other things tempt us to believe that Christ is not enough. But Christ is enough. And if you're not a Christian, I want to pray for you that you would be bold and take the step. Why would you want to be alienated from this great God? So I'm going to stop and pray. During these songs, a band are going to play. I've asked some people to be available for prayer ministry over here on my left. And just, man, if you're anything like me, you need prayer to get through the week. Because we can be tempted to believe that Christ is not enough. So I invite you, why wouldn't you want prayer? Come on down, there's no shame in it. I'll be there. And if you're not yet a Christian, you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's okay. But I would just urge you to tell somebody that you've taken that step. It's important. Tell somebody. Because there is celebration to be made. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your incredible grace shown towards us in Christ. For those of us that are Christians, we ask that you would help us to never lose our wonder. There will be seasons when we're up and down and we thank you that we are not judged by how strong our faith is, but what our faith is in. But Lord, we just need help to truly live out that you are enough. And Father, if there are people in this room tonight who do not yet know you, I ask that you would help them to have the courage for the first time to take the step towards you because your offer is real and true. 
give them courage. Give us all grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want everyone to stand up.